Our scripture reading for today is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you have poured out your generosity to us. And first, we want to say thank you. And second, we ask that you would do it again now, that you would fill us with your love as we look to your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I begin my message, I have a a question that I'd like uh, an actual honest response to. And I've never done this, well, okay, so I've done this once because I preached earlier today. This is the second time. Never asked for a visible response from people. But how many of you read mystery novels? So both of you. Uh, Three, okay. (laughs) I thought this might be the case. I figured it wouldn't be quite as many. How many of you have just a favorite TV show that's currently being released right now? Still only like three of you. Oh, man. Okay, just a couple. Okay, a few more. Let me ask you this. If you are someone who reads mysteries, how many of you have ever flipped to the back of the book to find out what happens before you got all the way through? Anybody? Okay, someone is honest. I'm not going to say that you're the only person, but I might strongly imply it. No. (laughs) Um, So... What about spoilers for, for TV shows that are currently released? Do you guys ever look online, people in the know, maybe who, like, have you ever looked at a spoiler before you saw a movie or a TV show? Okay, so earlier today, there was, like, horror in the eyes of people, like, who would do this? 
because you just ruin the joy of the story and finding out and figuring it out. There's no challenge anymore. I mention that because today I actually would like to give you a little bit of a spoiler for this message. And here's why. Um, The passage that I'm dealing with in Luke, and we've been going through the entire book of Luke beginning to end so that we know our Savior as he is and not as we would imagine him to be or we would like him to be. Today, uh, Jesus is going to talk a little bit about money. And so I want to tell you in advance why I'm talking about this because there is so much baggage around this topic I want you to know from the beginning of this message, the foundation of it and my primary goal in preaching. So today, I want you to walk away with the knowledge that your heavenly father loves you more than you can imagine. Your heavenly father loves you more than you can imagine. And secondly, because that's true, you should treasure him above everything else in this life. So your heavenly father loves you, so you ought to treasure him above everything else in this life. And I want to persuade you of that radical truth for a couple reasons. First, it's what Jesus clearly teaches in this text, that the love of God for you is the most important thing in the world, and your heart should be fixed on that love that you receive from the Father before you do anything else. That's reason number one. Reason number two, also in the text, is that Jesus talks about how money can be dangerous for us. And so I want to be faithful to the teaching of Jesus and receive a warning from him that I need and pass that warning on to you. There are a lot of, a lot of people that are suspicious anytime a pastor talks about money, and I think for good reason, and I want to just recognize that right now, there are people who make a lot of money making false promises and twisting the scriptures and encouraging people to just give so that God will give you something else in return. And they do it in a way that is false and is not true to the scriptures. And so I want to state right now, I want nothing to do with that. That's actually not new. That happened in Paul's day. Uh, Lauren, in the scripture reading that she read, mentioned the churches in Macedonia. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is a church in Macedonia. And he wrote about how people would preach Christ trying to get gain. And, and he said that, He wanted nothing to do with that kind of false motive, and I don't either. My primary concern is that you would know the love of God, and in knowing God's love, you would treasure him above everything else in your life. You might remember a parable that Jesus told. It's actually in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And when someone found it, With joy, they went and sold everything they had to obtain that treasure. They weren't mournful that they were getting rid of their possessions. They weren't sorrowful that God had called them to give things up. They were joyful because they had something better. And that's what I want to persuade you needs to happen in your heart and in my heart. That there is something better than any possession in the world. 
The question becomes, if that's true, and you are a follower of Christ, what does that mean for your stuff and my stuff? If you give your life to Jesus, what does that mean about your car or your house or your paycheck on a weekly or monthly basis or whatever it is? Or, just to make this super personal, what does it mean for me and my guitar collection? I own four guitars. To some people, that sounds crazy. Why would you need more than one? Well, let me tell you. I have a guitar that's similar to a Les Paul. It's got a bluesy, bassy tone that is gorgeous. It's a 1983 Gibson Spirit. I've had it since I was 12. 14. Thanks, Dad. I've got a Fender Telecaster. And if you're not a guitar person, that's like night and day. It's like not even the same instrument. It doesn't have a bluesy, bassy tone. It's got almost an acoustic tone with a bite to it. And I love that guitar too. I have two acoustics. Why? Well, one is one that I own that that I kind of purchased. The other one is one that my uncle left to me when he died. So I have four guitars. I can't fathom life without all four of them. That doesn't include the other instruments that are part of our household. (laughs) The question for me as a follower of Christ called to a radical kind of generosity, is that right? Is that a good use of what God has blessed me with? There's not an easy answer to that question. Somebody in first service actually called out, probably not, probably not. And I said, all right, just wait a minute. Your turn's coming. If I'm a follower of Christ, that means everything that I own belongs to him. What am I supposed to do with it? Like all really good questions, there is not an easy answer to this. And in fact, in the scripture that we're going to look at today in Luke, we're going to see a man who had a question for Jesus, and he was hoping for an easy answer, and Jesus did not give him one. So we're in Luke chapter 12, and I want to encourage you to open your Bible or use your phone or whatever you'd like to, to to follow along with me as I read the words of scripture and just say a few things about him. I, I believe it's important to see what the word of God says for itself as I go and preach through it. So I want to show you a young man who came to Christ and, and asked a question. And my first point for today is that there's a problem of fairness, a problem of fairness. And just read verses 13 through 15 along with me. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
You might remember from last week that the crowds that are talking about, these are large crowds. Uh, Luke says that there's so many thousands of people gathering together that they were trampling one another as Jesus' ministry is growing and expanding. And he's turned to his disciples and he's preparing them for after he goes to the cross and after he ascends to heaven so that they can continue to build the kingdom. So Jesus is addressing things that he knows are going to be problems for them. So so last week we saw how he warned them against the sin of hypocrisy. This week, he uses this question to turn and address his disciples and say, beware of all covetousness. This young man asked a pretty simple question, and I believe that he wanted a very straightforward answer. He wanted Jesus to say, all right, 50-50. Or, you know, maybe considering that culture, that time, whoever's the oldest would get a larger portion. But Jesus would let him know what was fair and what was just. But Jesus, as he so often does, he doesn't answer the question that's asked. He answers the question that should have been asked. And if you look at this, you might think for just a moment, Jesus is Lord of all. All. Dividing an inheritance is such a small thing. He's asking, who made me judge over you? Well, like the answer to that would be God the Father Almighty. Like what, what, how is he not judge here? But Jesus is doing something so critical. He's addressing a heart issue and letting this young man and each of us know the danger of when your material possessions have a hold on your heart. And I'll show you why that's the case. Because later in this chapter, if, you're, if you have your Bible open, go to verse 57. Notice what Jesus says about judging in issues like this. He says, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Jesus is not interested in setting petty squabbles. He wants you to have a heart that's able to make a good judgment. He says, as you go with your accuser, verse 58, before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. He's warning that if you care too much about your stuff in this life, there will be misery. If you are obsessed with your fair share in this life, you'll be miserable at best and you may lose your soul in the next life. Jesus is not interested in settling a simple question like this. He's very interested in exposing a heart that loves money. And I believe that this young man would probably deny that charge. He would probably say, I just want what's fair. I'm not greedy. I'm not trying to take anything from my brother. I just want what's fair. And Jesus perceptively goes beyond what this young man thinks and says, be on your guard. Take care. He says it twice, two different ways. Take care, be on your guard. That means covetousness is dangerous and deceptive. It means that it may be active in your life and you would never have guessed it. So he warns you against the power of possessions over you and he lets you know it's not a problem of fairness. This is a problem of your heart. Maybe it would be better to be wronged 
and to love the Father with such joy that even in your poverty, you show that you trust the Father will provide for you. And that's partly what Jesus is going to say in just a moment. But before he does that, he gives us this warning about the danger of a love of money. And so we saw first a problem of fairness. This young man came to Christ and asked him to settle. Now look at a parable to prepare. A parable to prepare. This is Jesus' response. He says, and he told them, meaning all of the crowd, including this young man, a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, though whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Think of what Jesus has just said for a moment and how we think of money in our culture. Jesus is describing someone who has done very well materially, but who has not thought at all about facing his God after he dies. And there are two things that it's easy for us to to think about. And somebody, as I was preparing for this message, I like to talk to different people as, as I look at the text and bounce ideas and ask questions and Somebody said to me, well, you know, I just need to know how long I'm going to live so I can decide when to be generous and how generous I can be. And it's funny because we do think that way. I want to make sure that I've got enough to last until I die. I want to leave a good inheritance to my kids. And I'm not saying that we should not think that way at all. Jesus doesn't totally condemn that, but he kind of does. Instead, he says, you've only thought of a short period and given no thought to eternity. Don't wait until you're financially secure to be generous because you'll never be secure enough. And this man, it seems like he died young. He, he never even thought that his death was soon. And so if you plan for retirement and think, I'll probably live to be 80, maybe 85, medicine is making great advances, maybe 90, I've got lots of time. You don't know that. If Jesus calls you home today, have you already been generous? Jesus says that you need to be rich towards God and don't assume that you have time. Be generous today, be generous now. And I want to say something very clearly, because it would be easy to misunderstand this. I am not saying that you should give in order to earn God's favor. You can't do that. You could never earn God's favor, no matter how much you gave. The question is, what is Jesus talking about then? How are we supposed to give? Well, the Bible says... God loves a cheerful giver. So the first way is you recognize you need to be right with God, so you give because you're scared. 
you're nervous. That's not a healthy attitude. Or you give out of a sense of duty. Or you give out of a sense of pride. All of those are wrong. God says he loves a cheerful giver. And how can we be cheerful? Jesus is going to describe in just a moment, and I can't wait to get there, but, but let me give you a little, a little premise here before I prove it. We can be cheerful when we understand the love the Father has for us. So we believe that, that the salvation that we enjoy is a gift of God, that he gives it freely to us, not because we're good and give or do anything, but because God is a loving and a generous God who extends mercy to people who don't deserve it. So I come to God knowing that I am a sinner, and then I receive the forgiveness of my sins because the blood of Jesus paid for them. And if you've experienced that forgiveness and that kind of mercy, and you understand the depth of the Father's love for you, that fills you with joy and frees you to be generous and cheerful as you give to spread that same kind of grace to other people. So the the love of God is the foundation of cheerful giving. And Jesus demonstrates that in the same context. And I want to point out, so verse 22, we're about to read all of this together. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. In other words, you don't know how much time you have. It's possible to be wealthy in this life and a a pauper, to be absolutely impoverished in the next life. So because of that danger, look with me at the promise that God gives us to provide for us. Look at verse 22. He says, he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
Notice that the rock bottom foundation for this teaching is that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You are not buying it. The Father loves to give it to you for free because he's a generous and a kind God and he sent his son to pay the price for your sin so he could welcome you into the kingdom for the glory of Jesus and eternal joy for everyone who believes. If that's who your God is, Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give us every good thing? You see, the reason that we struggle to be generous in this life is that it's hard for us to trust in the love of our Father. Notice Jesus describes, he says, oh, you of little faith. I don't think he said that in a mean way. I think it broke his heart because if our faith were stronger, we would not be anxious. And God does not want you and me to be anxious. He wants us to rest in the generosity of the Father so that we can give things away and trust that God will provide for us everything we need. So Jesus gives us a couple clear commands here. And if we're going to put this in practice, we need to remember the commands that he gives us. And the number one command, the first thing he begins with and he ends with, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Put your fears to rest. He's not saying it like, you terrible person, do not be anxious. He's saying, there's no need for you to be anxious. And he gives you two two things to look at, two things that you and I can see every day. He says, consider the ravens and consider the lilies. There are two things that are so basic that we believe that they're a human right, right? Food and clothing. So it seems natural and justified to be worried about them. Jesus says, you don't even need to worry about those. Look at the ravens. I, I have never seen a bird meet with a financial planner, ever. Retirement is not on their radar. They're not even thinking about how long they live. Do you remember what Jesus taught us to pray? He said, give us this day our daily bread. We're not asking for a lump sum that'll see us through the next 20 years. We're asking for what we need so that we can continue moment by moment to depend on God. God provides for the ravens You are more valuable than any raven. He will provide for you. And consider the lilies. You know, if you you look at any lawn in Michigan, uh, dandelions, we love to hate dandelions in one sense, right? Like they're the weed that is obnoxious. You can't pull it out because it snaps off because the root goes down 20 feet. My kids, though, understand that dandelions are beautiful. They love to pick them and bring them. They give them to me. They give them to Lauren. Because God made even a weed beautiful. And they are everywhere. And if he is adorning lawns all over Michigan with gorgeous little yellow flowers because he loves to make beautiful things, how much more will he provide for you even the clothing that you need? Jesus is saying, don't be anxious, don't be afraid. Your Father will give you what you need. And in that love, you have the freedom to be generous 
so that you are investing in eternity, which will last forever. So he says, number one, don't be anxious, don't be afraid. Number two, do not seek after the things that you will definitely lose. You know, there's a saying from Jim Elliott, a missionary who died, said he, who, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think that fits with this saying right here. He says, don't seek after the things that non-believers seek after, like food and clothing. Don't worry about it. And he gives two reasons for that. He's number one, this is in verse 30, all the nations of the world seek after these things. So in other words, people who don't know God obsess and worry about having food and clothing. It's universal. Everyone worries about it. But God's children are not to worry about it because we have a father who provides for us. So if you are anxious, not trusting that God will provide for you, you are making your father look bad. Either that he's not kind, not kind enough to provide for you, or that he's poor and unable to provide for you. Both of those things are are untrue. God has all the things in the world and is able to provide for you, and he loves you both. So Jesus says, don't spend your life seeking these things. Instead, he urges you to seek the kingdom of heaven with your whole heart and with your possessions. The other thing he says, as he says, don't seek after these things, he says, your father knows you need them. Your father knows you need them. And if he knows, he will provide you with everything you need. So the last command, we've got three here. Don't be anxious or afraid. Don't seek after things that your father's going to provide for you anyway. And number three, again, don't be afraid. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And this is where things get crazy. Because from that security, Jesus says something that is almost unthinkable to us. He says, sell your possessions. And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Like that man in the parable, if you pile all your treasure here, your heart is here, and you will go into eternity entirely unprepared. But, but if you fight the sin of greed with a kind of generosity that gives away your things, you will have treasure in heaven. And when you approach the grave, it won't be with fear. It will be with joy because you know where all of your lasting treasure is and you are eager to meet your Father and Jesus Christ face to face and to enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in a way that you've never experienced here. So Jesus says, sell your possessions. That might sound crazy. One of my applications for us today, I think it would be an amazing, amazing act of obedience if we went home and made a list of things to sell. Literally, to put this command into practice. To think, I have four guitars, I can probably get by with three of them. 
or two. I would ask you to make the same sort of consideration. How can you obey this command as radical as it is? Because in doing that, you know what you do? You move your heart from loving your stuff and tear it away just a little bit. And you begin to recognize what's truly valuable. And you begin to fix your heart on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth. It's not a message against stuff. God made stuff to be enjoyed. In fact, I want to show you a verse from the book of 1 Timothy. Paul says, this is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That's the problem Jesus is addressing. Don't put your hope on the things that you have, but put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So so be thankful for what God has given you. I'm not saying you have to hate your stuff, but I'm saying don't let your stuff possess you. And as part of making sure that your stuff doesn't possess you, some of you, and maybe me included, we need to give up some of our stuff. Sell your possessions. I, I know a guy, he would never let me use his name And so I'm going to tell you an illustration in a terrible way because you're always supposed to use names so that they're engaging and realistic. But I know a guy who who he he and his wife are foster parents and and they watch a couple of little girls and he has a relationship with God that is just remarkable. And, And it talks to God all the time like you would talk to a friend. And God laid it on his heart that, well, before I tell you what, what God laid on his heart, it, so foster care, if you know people who are in it, is always a difficult thing because what's maybe best for the kids is to be reunited with their family, but that means that the foster parents who've been caring for them are going to lose them. That's hard. And it might not be best for them to be reunited with the family, so there's also the fear that, that they're not going to be cared for well as the foster parents lose them. So it's a very difficult thing. A lot of foster parents hope to adopt and are never able to, and so it's hard, but it's a good thing. And so God laid it on this guy's heart that one of the ways that he needed to, to love the mom of these little girls was that he just he needed to give her his car, which is crazy. Uh, It was worth somewhere around $5,000, and he doesn't make a ton of money. This is a hugely sacrificial thing given to someone that no one would say is earning this kind of favor. It's a gracious gift. It's full of the Father's kind of grace. That's radical generosity, giving something that costs you a lot, not skimming off the top and keeping the rest for yourself, but going down deep and giving up something sacrificially. That's the kind of generosity I believe reflects the heart of the Father. That's the foundation of our giving. And so as I urge you to examine your own heart, first, I want to know, do you know the Father loves you? Have you experienced that kind of love? And second, if you've experienced the Father's love, Are you reflecting it and living it? And I want to be real practical because I think that kind of giving is not going to be a daily occurrence. That's not going to be a day-to-day type of giving. Occasionally, you ought to do that as God lays something on your heart, and he will. 
How much do you give on a weekly basis? How much do you give regularly? Well, I asked Lauren to read from 2 Corinthians 8 because that describes the same sort of sacrificial attitude. And I'll remind you of exactly what it says. It says, their abundance of joy, they receive the love of the Father, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. See, they actually weren't rich. But they were so thankful for what God had done for them and they loved their fellow believers so much that they gave, Paul says, beyond their means, of their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's how they gave. Somewhat recklessly, their financial planner would not be pleased. But they had something far more valuable And so they didn't give out of a sense of guilt or obligation. They gave from a place of joy. So sometimes you ought to give radically, generously, in a way that is reckless. But you also ought to give regularly. Let me give you another verse. So so 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul is teaching the church how to plan and give in a way that's faithful, that reflects God's faithfulness. And he says to them, on the first day of the week, when you gather together, each of you, ought to decide ahead of time how much you will give. And he's so clear. He's not telling people to, to give so that they are impoverished. He wants fairness. He wants justice. He wants equity. So give as you can afford, but give with a generous heart like God has. As God calls you to do this and to reflect the Father's heart, The Father himself is your example. You know, we sang that new song that that is so amazing. The first verse begins, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. Think about that for the second. There is no more that heaven could give because God gave you the greatest thing in the gift of his Son. If the Father is so generous to give you the Son... He's leading the way in this example. He is your example. Not only is the Father your example, but Jesus is your example. We already heard from the scripture how though he was rich, he became poor for your sake and for my sake. That's the kind of biblical generosity. And it ought to be reflected in our weekly giving as well. Sometimes Christians, they love to go to the Old Testament and find a simple rule to obey. So they'll just say, 10%, that's my obligation. That's what I'm going to do. The New Testament doesn't teach that. There are some of us who ought to give more than 10% because God has blessed us. And so from joy, we give generously, lavishly, just like the Father did. So that one day, who knows, maybe we'll be poor. But we will be absolutely wealthy beyond our wildest dreams in Christ Jesus. And our treasure will be secure in heaven. Jesus became poor for your sake, and he did it for the joy of the Father and the joy of the family that was created through his blood. And you can experience the same joy as you give to the work of the kingdom. So let me encourage you, be generous with the people in your life, be generous as you give to the church, but only if you've experienced the love of the Father. And I would urge you that as you approach the grave one day, and you don't know when that's coming, you can approach it with joy as you make sure that your treasure is all on the other side of it. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, I want to say thank you for this word that, that confronts our sin. I pray that you would help us. Help us to put it into practice, Lord. Jesus confronts our desire to keep our stuff, and it's so hard for us to let go of it. I pray that we would not forget what he has said, but we would be obedient and put it into practice. And God, above all, I pray that you would let us know the joy of the Father. And I praise you for your kindness in giving us Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.